The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. Find out more about the network and other amazing Alberta-made podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. I'm Dave Cornoyer. And I'm Ryan Hassman. And you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're recording this episode on September 9th, 2018. This episode, we'll be talking about the Trans Mountain Pipeline. When do we not talk about pipelines on this podcast? The Federal Court of Appeal quashed, yes, quashed is apparently a, a, a legal word. Uh, it's in the Constitution, something Dave. Something that I discovered. Uh, the Federal Court of Appeal quashed uh, the, uh, the, the construction or the, the, the approval for the construction of the uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the fallout from that uh, and Premier Notley's response. We'll also take a peek inside our mailbag. Lots of good questions this week, as always. But first, let's dig into some nomination news. You said you had a prodigious list of upcoming nominations. Yes, there are... Many nominations coming up in September. It is a very busy month. This upcoming week alone, I think there are 10 nomination meetings coming up. And I had the list in front of me just a second ago, and I'm going to grab it. Everything from Edmonton Rutherford for the Alberta Party to, well, Fort Saskatchewan Vegreville for the Alberta Party. Those are the two, book- <laughs> those are the two bookends. But in between, <laughs> we have uh, uh, nomination meetings, some big ones I'll, I'll just mention briefly. Uh, Bonneville Cold Lake St. Paul for the United Conservative Party. We have David Hansen, who is currently right. the incumbent for Lacklebish St. Paul Two Hills, and he's running in this new riding. And I think his main competitor is Craig Copeland, who yeah. is the mayor of Cold Lake, who was the PC candidate in the old Bonneville Cold Lake riding in the last election. So they're going to challenge. They're challenging each other, and I believe there's another two or three candidates, or one or two candidates. I can't remember off the top of my head, um, but that's going to be one to watch. Uh, on the 12th of September, uh, Deputy Premier Sarah Hoffman is expected to be acclaimed in Edmonton, Glenora. Uh, that will be, I mean, I don't expect there'll be any any surprises coming out of that one, but that Glenora is definitely going to be one we're going to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, in Strathcona Sherwood Park uh, this week, Dave Quest, the former progressive conservative MLA for Strathcona Sherwood Park, is seeking the Alberta Party nomination. I think he was chosen. The, the Alberta Party put out a tweet. Oh, I okay. I, he was either acclaimed or... Oh, okay. Maybe they selected. had a, a deadline and he was the only candidate. Yeah, that's probably okay. what happened. The meeting was probably going to happen. So. Okay. So, congratulations, Dave Quest. Uh, Calgary Elbow, United Conservative Party, on the 13th of September. Now, this is going to be a really interesting one. We have yeah. Doug Schweitzer, former... Now, did he run, um, he run for the UCP leadership or the PC? He, he almost ran for the PC party leadership and then he backed out. Well, before that, he actually ran the Prentice leadership campaign when Prentice became PC leader. That's right. That's and how he, we met him, okay. Leanne and I. And then, yeah, he was talking about running for UCP leadership, but instead he supported Kenny. And no, PC leadership. He yeah. said he supported Kenny. And then he ran for the UCP leadership. And he got like 5% of the vote or something like that or 7%. So he's good at making a name for himself. Well... Do you guys know Doug? Have you met him? I've met him before. I, he's a really nice guy. Yeah, very kind, very smart. He's a a partner, maybe managing partner at um, a law firm, right? At uh, he's at Denton's, isn't he? At Denton's, yeah. yeah, one of the largest law firms in the country. I think in the world, one and of the largest in the world. Yeah, yeah. So he has, you know, he definitely isn't doing this for the pay raise for the lols. No, for the <laughs> lols. Yeah, I really like Doug, and I'm glad he's doing this and part of the coalition. When he ran for leader, he was talking about. 
you know, new blue and bringing some fresh ideas. Or I guess from the perspective of coming from the Wild Rose side, they were fresh new ideas. Like, like cutting the minimum wage and... And, cut- d- and, and uh, privatizing ATB. That's right. He figured he could pull, what was it, a billion dollars in equity out? Yeah, he thought, I think he, he was talking about privatizing either like one third or two thirds of the bank. Right. Sorry, of the financial institution. It's not a bank. He also, though, spoke up for women's role in the workplace and in governance. You know, he, I don't, I don't know if he was running to win. I mean, you always run to win. But I think he looked at Brian Jean and Jason Kenney and maybe realized that he just wanted to bring some ideas. This is my speculation. Yeah. But anyway, I believe he's going to win this week. And I believe he has a big role to play in the party. And so I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what he'll do. And, you know, he is running in a in an interesting riding. It's against yep. Greg Clark. Yep. Alberta mm-hmm. Party MLA elected in the last uh, last election for under the Alberta Party banner. And that'll be interesting. Is he planning to run again? I believe so. I, th- I, I believe think? Greg Clark's actually nominated. When we, okay. when we met yeah. with him, he said he was going to. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So if the Alberta Party has a strong seat in Calgary, that would definitely be at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting choice. And I remember some of the Alberta Party activists were kind of mad at Doug for running there. Which I found ironic because it's like, well, you guys are for doing politics differently and for open nominations and all this stuff. So how can you get mad at a strong candidate for running? Similar to, I'm going to get to it later, but now I have to get to it now. Okay. We just nominated an extremely strong candidate to run against maybe the number two safest Alberta party seat, which is Stephen Mandel's seat in Edmonton McClung. So a friend of mine, his mother, uh, Lori Moseson, who is... She spent her career in law. She was a lawyer, and then she was an immigration judge. Appointed by Jason Kenney. Appointed by Jason Kenney. So she's brilliant. She's friendly. Um, I think we can be real here at the table and say she checks a few other boxes. It's an Edmonton seat. It's a winnable Edmonton seat. She's female. She is from the ethnic community that is most represented in McClung. So it's she's, great. She's Jewish. She's Jewish. Yeah, yeah. There's a large Jewish community in that part yeah. of the city. So yeah. I'm very excited. I mean, she is clearly cabinet material. And it's a very winnable seat in Edmonton. So if you're the Alberta party now, and you have two genuine stars in McClung and in Elbow, I think you're a little bit worried. What do you think? Uh, what do you think Mandel's chances are in that riding? I feel like he's just riding an a, an additional ice flow into the ocean of retirement. <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, I know. I know I, that's I, not fair. No, no, no. I think. I, I think. I think. Oh, I, I made this argument on my blog before that I think Mandel, as a politician, has passed his best before date. But that doesn't mean we should underestimate him. Yeah. I don't think he's bringing yeah. brand new ideas or anything exciting to the political scene in Alberta. But he he was the city councilor for that area. He was a very popular mayor of Edmonton. Interestingly, he and was he, the MLA for not that area, though. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He ran in a by election across the river in White Mud. Edmonton White Mud. Yeah. Which this is, is just right across the river. And this this is, is more his home. This term. is where he lives, and this is the the part of the area he represented when he was on city council before he was mayor. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't discount uh, Steve Mandel. I wouldn't bet against him winning in, no, for sure. in McClung. But this will hold him down in McClung a lot. This will be it'll, it'll make it a lot more. This isn't just some but. Random conservative candidate. This is someone that the UCP oh, yeah. will put a lot of resources in behind. Well, uh, and I was going to think it holds him down and forces him to win his own seat. But does it really? I honestly can't fathom that he would stick around if it was a caucus of three or four or seven. Like, is that why Stephen Mandel got into this to be the leader of a small party in the House? I think he's either wanting to be a major player with a big caucus or he'll just go retire. I, I cannot see Stephen Mandel retiring. It's just not. But from active politics? Uh, from politics, maybe, or maybe he leads a lobby group of some kind. I just don't think he'll stop being involved in politics, but I don't think 
elected um like leader of a five mla caucus no that, that sounds miserable he, you know what frankly he was sold a bill of goods when he ran to be the leader of the alberta party and it, everything turned out exactly the opposite of the way Did i he, think that you know stephen carter so you're putting this rather to. passively you're saying he was sold a bill not he was part of the cabal who pushed out greg clark uninstalled greg clark yeah um, to what degree was he responsible or just presented with the option yeah that's a good question i mean i i honestly i don't know here we are talking about the alberta party again hey, we worked you, it in this is ryan's favorite topic <laughs> you the know alberta party. <laughs> i would like for all of our alberta party friends and insiders to to let us know because you know all of us are just looking from the outside yeah like what is the feeling there what do you think is going to happen is mandel even worried about his own seat or is he saying either we have a decent caucus or i won't care about my own seat like the hubris i think for, for at least from my perspective of the alberta party is the belief that they could win a majority so soon after forming as a viable party like mm -hmm. no question greg clark has been um a, a really solid politician for the party in the legislature mm -hmm. but we're talking about something that takes years not months to build but to be, i mean the other side of that though is i've been hearing about the alberta party since 2012 but there, but there's been so little movement in increasing their yeah, numbers but yeah. they're not new when no, was i the guess big, i guess not when yeah. was the big listen that was the lead up to the 2012 campaign yeah. right so we've been hearing this is why i tend to be a bit more sarcastic about them is i've been hearing about this new party for three cycles now yeah yeah sure it is a little bit different now and the other thing about greg clark he's a nice guy he's a smart guy we've met with him yep and he has done well but i also think he's benefited from having zero expectations from a media that actually wants him to do well just to create a more interesting narrative. Mm. Like when he starts getting the pressure of expectations, I think it'll, we'll see like he's untested it's, and I, I'm not saying he wouldn't be good in that environment, but no journalist has ever took a discerning look at him or them. They just love to say like, Oh, look how great Greg Clark is doing because it kind of makes a better story. Which is why I believe the choice of Stephen Mandel as a leader was a bizarre one. Yeah. Because you suddenly you've got this person that we we have loaded so much so much baggage in history with that it's like, well yeah. And how does he sell in the deep south? Yeah. He's a former Edmonton mayor. Nobody knows who he is. It'd be like bringing Dave Bronconnie up here, but if he was way more controversial. Yeah. So I mean I guess all the municipal activists and politicians would know Mandel. Um, so maybe that's what they were thinking because a lot of, in the rural seats, a lot of provincial politics is fed by city councils and councillors and Reeves and all that stuff. But again, he's the mayor of one of the two big cities. So is he more of a villain to that crowd or a hero? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll see. As I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't discount him. He has a, a he has big networks and they've been recruiting candidates um, and nominating candidates across the province. I think they have about 25 or 26 candidates nominated so far. Um, I mean, nominating candidates and nominating good quality candidates has actually hasn't been a problem that the Alberta party has had. No, it's true. They've, they've nominated well. good candidates in the past, uh, but they haven't been able to get any kind of traction that leads to substantial fundraising right. or, uh, or substantial votes like right. overall. I mean, we've seen concentrated, they've done well. Yeah. They did well in Greg Clark's riding in Calgary elbow. They did well in a couple other areas where they had strong candidates who had, yeah. you know, name recognition and good teams on the ground. But overall, I mean, I think it goes to, I mean, it goes to show it's, it's hard to rally people to this when you, when you're, when you're talking about how you're a moderate centrist party, it's hard to rally people to centrism. Well, it, and that's what Doug Schweitzer represents. To be honest, he's from the moderate centrist wing 
of the UCP. And so we've, and honestly, like the Lori uh, Moseson nomination is a good example of this. It was not manipulated by the leader. She had to fight a pretty tough nomination against someone that whose family I'm friends with. And it was, you know, Kenny did not hand her that seat. But I would have a hard time thinking of two better candidates for the UCP to put up against Clark and Mandel locally. I think they are very dangerous to both of those MLA, or I guess Mandel's not an MLA, but we've chosen well. The members have chosen well. and uh, Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see when going in, in, in particular those two ridings and, and maybe the other two ridings that the Alberta Party holds, um, Cal, which I think uh, Karen McPherson is running in Calgary-Beddington and... I don't know if Rick Fraser's actually announced whether he's going to run for re-election or not, but I don't know but in those ridings, uh, the election is likely not going to be between, I mean, I think with the exception of Edmonton McClung, where there's an NDP incumbent, that adds a different different factor. Um, but the other ridings, yeah. it's not going to be a race between the UCP and the NDP. It's going to be a race between the UCP candidate and the Alberta candidate. So what does that mean? In and a, by in, race, in, I think race is generous. In that, no, in but, what, but what, what does that mean when the provincial, when the narrative in the provincial election is between the NDP and the UCP, which I think it's going to be, and I think that's where we're going. Um, I think it's going to be hard for the Alberta party to break into that provincial narrative. Absolutely. So how does that play in those individual ridings? I think that's what we saw yeah. with the with Greg Clark winning in, in 2015 in in uh, in Calgary Elbow, it wasn't a race between the NDP and the PCs. It was a race between the Alberta Party. There, there between the Alberta I Party can't and, see and the Fraser. PC Party. What is it? Calgary, <clears throat> Calgary Southeast, Southeast is the riding Rick Fraser currently represents. I, mean, I can't fathom UCP losing that seat. I well, mean, we'll I don't see. know the local scene, but knowing all the seats around it, it's a pretty hard conservative area of, yeah. of Calgary. I mean, that's Southeast. that's, that's Jason, Jason Kenney's Kenny. old riding. Yep. It's now Tom Kamek. Those are the kind of places where federally the conservatives are winning 80%. Rick Fraser, I think, actually cleaned up last time as a PC candidate. And I'm sure, without checking, that the Wild Rose was the second place and third was distant from there. So I think the NDP people actually placed second in that round. Did they? I think they did, oh, yeah. Okay. yeah I think the wrong. Wild Rose kind of they dipped in, in Calgary in the last election when yeah. the NDP wave came in. It was Wild Rose voters voting NDP to get rid of the Tories. <laughs> what a weird world we live in. <laughs> The UCP held a nomination meeting in Calgary Fish Creek uh, this past weekend. Uh, it was a contentious nomination. Richard Godfried, who is the incumbent MLA and was elected as a PC MLA in the last election, was facing a, cal- a challenge first from two candidates uh, and then from one candidate when one of them dropped out. The day before the nomination meeting was held, I believe, or the day before the, or two days before, the NDP released a number of screenshots on on through, through press release and on Twitter, a whole se- a whole thread of screenshots uh, that they claimed were from challenger Cindy Ross uh, expressing incredibly distasteful and awful anti-Islamic views. Um, this is like at the eleventh hour before the nomination meeting. Um, the th- I mean, other than the, these these screenshots being awful, uh, it surprised me that this kind of missed i mean this was an approved candidate she presumably went through screening vetting through the ucp how did the ucp not find these types of these types of 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 social media comments for someone who is facing a contested or facing a nomination who had potentially could could have won and could have been a candidate and could have been an mla going into a potentially ucp government in 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 2019 ryan what's going on we this isn't this isn't the first time we've seen something like this we've seen sandra kim in Masquachis with Tasquin making making um, uh, comments against same-sex marriage, uh, we've seen a number a number of uh, uh, 
situations like this happen so far. Um, what what's happening? Is the UCP not doing their due diligence? J- Jason Kenney in 2017 promised that there would be a rigorous mm-hmm. screening process, and rigorous is was was the word that he used. Yeah. Um, but we're not really seeing. I mean, Cindy Cindy Ross wasn't disqualified, even though the the nomination meeting was being held within 24 hours. So before I answer that more important question, I actually want to make a point that the NDP played this wrong. Uh, and I think probably they knew she wasn't going to beat Godfrey, and so then it would never matter. Mm-hmm. How much more damaging would this have been if it was an actual candidate or during the red? Um, so I think they jumped the gun, but I also think they realized Godfrey was going to win. And I'm glad Godfrey mm-hmm. won. I mean, he's a great guy. Uh, I will show you guys my cards and say that I share your frustration with this. And I am personally friends with some of the people whose jobs, whose salaries are paid to vet this. And I am a little frustrated. Now, on one hand... It's a huge task. I mean, no other party is experiencing the type of volume of candidates, of members, of um, activity, and the stakes are super high. No other party has genuine races across the province. Every party has an area where they're kind of strong. Well, actually, of the two. But the UCP, other than maybe the very core of Edmonton, um, is, is truly high-stake nominations everywhere. So I have a lot of sympathy for the staff to miss things like that. Also, clearly everybody missed it because I think if the NDP just released it, it got through Godfrey's people's hands and stuff too. I am frustrated with the UCP because I have suggested to them privately and publicly a tool, a method that would have caught this. And so again, um, just to be honest with you guys, I'm a little bit angry about it because the the tactic that I suggested scales and it's non-technical and it would have caught this, which is again, download your freaking profile and do a text search. And in that text search, there should be about 40 words. And quite frankly, Islam would be one of them. Mosque, um, Dave Berta, all sorts of trigger (laughs) words like that. And this would have been caught. And so, I mean, I'm a partisan and I'm a team player, but dudes, it's been 18 months since I've provided, I, like, I literally mean I, me, Ryan, has provided the suit. So, um, so Janice Harrington, if you're listening. And I, I like Janice, and I'm so glad she's there, and she's got a tough job, and I've had that job, not her job. I had the director of political ops. Like, mm-hmm. It's crazy. I'm actually on my local nominating committee. It's a lot of work, and they're doing it times 87. But seriously. Now, the other thing I'm going to say is, um, of course, there's room for improvement, and the UCP is held to a higher bar than the others. But also, the system is working to a degree. It's ugly and kind of messy, and people are seeing the sausage going into the tubes or whatever the expression is. But we are filtering these folks. I haven't seen too many people get through the system yet that are potential risks during the rent and that really has to be the main objective from the party perspective is future proofing so that there aren't any time bombs it's working overall s todd beasley is not the candidate cindy ross is not the candidate so you know i i do think the ndp is doing a better job with this so far i would argue part of it is the lower stakes nature of their nominations but other parties are guilty of this too in this summertime remember the alberta party had a candidate who had made racist statements on their Facebook. I have the clip here. Um, his name is Sid Fayad. 
He used the oh, N word. N-word. You know, so. Yeah, he ran in the Fort McMurray Conklin by election. Yeah, and the leader, there's a photo in the Fort McMurray newspaper with him and Mandel campaigning. Like, this isn't just a UCP thing. I think it overwhelms all of them. But UCP is held to higher bar. Like, there was such a thing as the Lake of Fire. There was such a thing as <laughs> all of those things. So I'm a little frustrated, guys. Wait, how, so, how, Sorry, go on, Adam. I was just going to ask, how do you guys think that these these bozo eruptions impact the Bozai. vote? The, the eruptions bozai. Yeah. <laughs> How do you think these eruptions bozai impact voters? Because I'm not convinced it has a material impact on, on um, certainly the base of these parties and potentially even undecideds. I don't know that it actually colors what the, they're going to do. Did you see the NDP ad? I don't remember. They have the MLA for Edmonton Castle Downs. Yes, Nicole Goring. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and it's like a minute long, and it's yeah. fun. Yeah. She goes through the like we'll 10. We'll post a link to it on the uh, yeah. on the site. But I don't know. Does that turn? I think it might have a demotivational effect on voter turnout overall. I think some people who would either vote conservative or not vote will stay home. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't turn anyone. I don't think it changes minds. I think, yeah. it, I think it builds a narrative. I mean, I think that's, that's what the NDP is trying to do is that yeah the ucp is attracting these people with these crazy opinions so you're sucking up the potential there's that type of voter who just doesn't want kenny to win mm-hmm. and they have multiple options mm-hmm. they have the ndp the alberta party and whatever else I, th- I think what dave is saying is that if if this were the walking dead and political arguments were a baseball bat <laughs> these these eruptions bozai would be one of the nails yeah jammed into that baseball. i think bat. so yeah like, I think it could turn... I think it actually hurts the Alberta Party, and this is why my thesis is the Alberta Party has no chance. Because if your core motivation is you detest Jason Kenney, you have a better option. Rachel Notley is personally great, performing well. We're going to get into it later, but she's doing her thing. So, again, there is a there is a Stop Kenny component of the electorate. I mean, I would even suggest you two would be open to voting for several of the other parties. And this kind of stuff might make you just vote NDP because you realize what's at stake. If you were maybe potentially thinking about, well, the Alberta party or the liberal, but if you're like, no, the not Kenny party needs every single vote. So I think this might cause some marginal partisans that are conservative to stay home and it'll vacuum up a bunch of left support to the most viable stop Kenny. But I don't think it changes minds. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's creating, it, I think they're trying to create the narrative. The, the reason why people didn't really, even though they were looking for a change, I mean, for example, in 2012, they were looking for a change. They, Albertans wanted to get rid of the Tories, but they didn't trust the Wild Rose Party. And they didn't trust the NDP. And they didn't trust the NDP. 2015, Albertans obviously wanted to change, but yeah. they didn't trust the Wild Rose Party right. again. And this is, this, I think this is, this is... Uh, but it had uh, built up, right? Like a pressure valve at that point. They didn't even care who their local NDP candidate was. Well, no, it was, it was Rachel Notley. Yeah. She was fantastic during the campaign. Yeah. And she drove, she drove that orange wave. Or like if, ro- rode that orange wave. Yeah. So I don't think we're there yet. I don't think people are that angry that they will vote the bump. Well, I guess let me rephrase this. I think that... The people that were that angry have gone back to just being conservative or stay home. Like that percentage of people mm-hmm. who the Wild Rose populist voters who voted mm-hmm. NDP, I think they're back now, back mm-hmm. to the mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I think the polls reflect that. So Ryan, the Trans Mountain Pipeline's been quashed, which is a legal term. Which is which is a legal term. Is that true? 
they quashed the, as a legal term. Yeah. They used it. They, they, I think they believe they used it in the ruling. They, they used it in the executive summary. I'm talking about the federal court of appeal actually used the term quashed. Wow. Wasn't which, it more like paused? Like no, to no, me, I quashed think I'm, is like I'm pretty squashed. sure I'm pretty sure the term was the term was quashed, and I will find <laughs> it. Um, but I'm standing by the term quashed uh, because I think it's great. Um, the the word that they used the word quashed. Um, I wonder what it was in French. <laughs> Le quashed. Quashé. 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 But they don't say QUs like that, so be, <laughs> it would be caché. So the the federal court of appeal ruled. Uh, uh, ruled to quash the approval of the expansion of the Trans Mountain Pipeline uh, basically for two reasons, and I'm just pulling it up right now. Uh, the court ruled that the National Energy Board report on which the cabinet approval, on which cabinet based, federal cabinet based its approval, quote, unjustifiably deny, or unjustifiably defined the scope of the project under review not to include project related tanker traffic, and that the federal government, quote, fell short fell well short of the minimum requirements to consult with indigenous communities in the third and final phase of the pipeline consultation process. So these so, are kind of two, they're, they're not ruling against the pipeline, but they're ruling against the, that there were, there were deficiencies in the process that the federal government basically didn't do its due, due diligence, that it rushed the process and it, and it cut corners, yeah. which frustrates me because if you're going to be, if you, you know, I mean, n- Politics aside, and the amount of political capital and political focus that have, has been on this project for the past year or two, four years, um, if you're going to approve a project this large, which we can all agree is a major national infrastructure project, now it's literally a national infrastructure project because yeah. the federal government owns owns uh, four billion dollars worth of which are worth of pipeline blueprints. <laughs> which uh, what kind of <laughs> morons decide to buy something that might not get approved before it gets approved? Did you see the vote? The uh, Kinder Morgan shareholder bonus? Was it 99%? Like, yeah. Well, yeah. obviously. Yeah. It's like, yeah. so you're going to buy my car even though it may not work. And then it, the mechanic says, yeah, it's broken, but you still have to buy my car. Well, this this came on the same day. It was the, the federal court ruled in the morning and then the shareholders voted to sell the pipeline in <laughs> like, the afternoon. I'm so, not a lawyer, but I could have thought of that, you know. So so the, the courts ruled and then we bought it anyway. Yeah, well, well, I, because don't, we I, had I, to? I yeah, well, because the pro, that process has had, had we, already been underway. I don't. They know. sold it anyway. Okay, yeah, we were already it buying anyway. it. Yeah. yeah, so I don't know. I don't know if Justin Trudeau knew that the federal court would be releasing yeah. the, that ruling that morning. I, I suspect they probably didn't believe. They probably didn't right. figure that in. Yeah. I don't think the federal court of appeal sends the prime minister's office. Here's our schedule. I think the federal court releases rulings when yeah. when they decide to release rulings. Right. If they but politically, the... it made for a fascinating day. <laughs> well, a couple things here. If the if the judiciary gave the PMO a heads up that they'd be releasing a ruling, I would be like, we're all screwed. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, These branches of government must remain separate. Second of all, it sounds like the court is saying the liberals did the absolute bare minimum of what they were supposed to do to ensure the construction of this project. Right? Well, the... the they did the, the bare minimum and the bare minimum was insufficient. Well, the I issue would. the issue with, with the consultation of indigenous communities, according to the court ruling, specifically dealt with the third phase of the pipeline consultation process. Mm-hmm. So that was in between the point where the National Energy Board released its final report and cabinet approved it. Okay. So that the first two phases or the previous consultations were okay, but the third phase during that yeah. specific period fell short. Hmm. Um, now I, I may obviously I, I, 
I expect the federal government is going to be looking at, or has been looking at, because this happened a, a week or two ago, has been looking at what they did in the first two phases and what they didn't do in the third phase, because that, that that's what that's one of the reasons what cost them the situation. I will say this. If, if the federal... Uh, Court of Appeals isn't going to give the PMO a heads up. They could at least let the Dave Berta podcast know yeah. because we released our episode right. and then like two days later. Yeah, bad timing, guys. Very bad. When your podcast is about current politics <laughs> and it comes out every two weeks, yeah. it stale days pretty quick. Yeah, that might be on us though. Yeah. I don't know. Um, this is another one of those examples of me finding myself really admiring and agreeing with an NDP premier, which although... Um, Miss Notley and Lou Arab are nice human beings. It's not a comfortable place for me to be. Her frustration. Welcome to the orange zone. <laughs> her frustration was so genuine and so relatable. You look at it from the point of view of moving goalposts, that this is something that happened a long time ago, that they are now asking them to go back and look at things that are outside of the scope of Alberta in a literal sense. Yeah. Those First Nations and that coastline is in another province. And then you've got the Trudeau government um, telling them, oh, no, no, it'll, it's a top priority. It'll get built. We all saw the photo op with shovels and hard hats. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think this was a disaster for the Notley government. Obviously, I'm partisan, but I really do think so because they put so much onto it. In fact, didn't they build some of the revenue for the new pipeline expansion into future budgets yeah. already? Yeah, that, that was the thing. The, 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 the Notley NDP... Uh, and I mean, Joe Sisi in particular, the finance minister, uh, has talked about this pipeline uh, is basically the way to balance future budgets. They've <laughs> who does they, that sound like? They, Which government they, does they, that sound like? Yeah, no, it, it's uh, they, they they tied it to uh, the introduction of potentially introduction of pharmacare, for example, which is a policy that would be very popular among their base. Right. I mean, as as I wrote in the blog, yeah. we built a pipeline was going to be the central yeah. plank of, yeah. of the NDP's uh, uh, re-election campaign next year. Uh, so it's it, it's totally must be totally frustrating for for you Rachel Notley because because this is totally out of her hands and it's not anything that she did that caused exactly this. or or could affect or, absolutely it's, so it's twelve hundred kilometers away yeah but I, I think her response to Trudeau I mean we've we've most I most I'm sure most most of our our listeners who are engaged in politics saw the uh, saw the photo uh, during the when when Trudeau came to Edmonton uh, a few days ago. Where where he's extending his hand and Notley's just totally giving him the cold shoulder. Or when she walked away from the meeting. Yeah. And yeah. they asked her how to go and she said it went or something like yeah, that. It went. And yeah, then later she, on she said, Oh no, I wasn't talking about the Prime Minister, I was talking about a different meeting. Yeah, no, no, I'm sorry, Miss She Freeman. she's she's pissed and, and, and rightfully so. Um but, So here's the other thing about that though. I actually think this was a death knell for the carbon tax in Canada because she took the bait, um, in a way, and Pushed back on the political deal. Now, a friend, friends of mine such as Andrew Leach would deny to their death that the carbon tax was ever related to the pipeline approval. They would say it was two separate things. That the, you know, Alberta's climate change policy was not about pipelines, but politically, oh, politically, of it course, was tied it together. was. Absolutely. And she basically said it. And now that she said, okay, we're pulling out of the national, the federal climate change plan, she has basically just said it was a political tool. That the climate change plan in and of itself is not about the climate, but it's about a political mechanism. And by saying we're out until you guys fix this, well, what was it about? Was it ever actually about climate change or was it politics and revenue? Well, Alberta still has its own climate leadership plan. But they've pulled out of the federal. They've, they've pulled out of the federal plan, which, which I mean, sends a, it's, it's a, I, I saw a lot of conservative commentary saying, oh, this doesn't actually mean anything. 
uh, because just, the, because the next car, the next federal carbon tax increase doesn't happen for another two or three years. But this actually means quite a bit because Trudeau basically almost has no allies. Right. Provincial premier, provincial the, premiers. Because the whole uh, thing was social license. Yeah. That in exchange for taking on a carbon tax and aggressive climate change policies, you will get a pipeline. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I was one of those people who made the sarcastic comment. She basically said, "We're not going to raise taxes on Albertan families three years from now." Like, ooh, but. If I put aside my partisan hammer, it was brutal for Trudeau. He's yeah. now lost basically any any of the major provinces. He doesn't really have any allies. Um, I know the PC government in Manitoba just said they're not going to oppose the climate, sorry, the carbon tax. But well, so that's because they got a legal opinion saying that their their court yeah. case would fail, which is odd. Because which I'm sure it wouldn't, and and I'm sure Jason Kenney knows that. But when but was it ever politics, about, right? Yeah, exactly. It, and she put it back in the political realm. By saying, and she had no other cards to play, like other than maybe saying we're no longer going to collect GST and send it back to the feds. <laughs> she, she didn't really have any other options. But boy, oh boy, this did not make the case for the long-term viability of either levels. Carbon taxes very strong. This this feels to me like all the makings of a party that when it got elected, the NDP got elected in Alberta, they knew they had a shelf life of four years. About two years into their mandate, it was starting to feel like they felt like they might have a chance at winning the next provincial election. What do you guys think? Like, are the, are are the NDP absolutely screwed next year? Ah, oh, I, I I won't count Rachel Notley out. I think she's a formidable political well, campaigner. I think she's been a, I think she's been a good premier. Put put it but, another way, but Dave. electorally, the NDP. Uh, their path to re-election was always going to be steep and narrow, yeah. like walking yeah. on a tightrope across Mount Everest. A narrow path. Yeah, a very narrow path. Not the and, wide path that leads to destruction, but the... Well, that's the UCP route to victory. <laughs> it's, it's the wide path that leads to destruction for us all. <laughs> but, uh, but the, I mean, the NDP, yeah. they're, they they only got 40% in the last election. Right. So they would have, they have to perform better than they did in the last election, basically, yeah. in order to win. Unless we see some kind of Alberta Party insurgents that gobbles yeah. up a bunch of conservative votes which i mean we just we talked well, about earlier i, I it, it's gonna be it's gonna be challenging that said um rachel notley i think she, i think she's strong um jason can put rachel notley and jason kenny together and in, in, in you know in a, in a debate Absolutely. but we'll see what happens we've talked about this before i think it's structural like the the default I know Alberta is not as conservative as it used to be and demographics are changing, but I think all things being equal, a generic conservative party against a generic labor party, Mm -hmm. the conservative party will win because Mm -hmm. of structure. So you've got basically three major regions. This is a gross oversimplification, but Edmonton, Calgary, and kind of everything else. And so sure, in Edmonton, the NDP will be strong. They're probably now well-established in a bunch of seats that will take a few cycles before they're really, we see a lot of losses, but even if you give them 20 in Edmonton, how do you get to 40? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. Where's the next 23? Yep. Yeah. They have to hold on to everything they have. They were basically. winning seats that they had they no business winning. They didn't prepare to win. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Put it, put it another way. What did the NDP need to do to win? What would it take for the NDP to win in the next provincial election? I think they're doing what they need to do. Okay. Honestly, I think that this stuff about poking us, mm-hmm. pointing out our like a fire, fighting like hell against the Trudeau government mm-hmm. and the, you know, putting on your captain Alberta cape. Like, I think she is a brilliant politician and I think she's doing her best. I think any of the rest of her caucus, except for maybe a couple of them, if they were leader, they'd be way worse off. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I just think, and sure, <laughs> I'm fully aware that anything can happen, but I just think her, her hand is weak. And if this is poker, she's got like a pair of fours. And she's bluffing. Yeah, and she has to. <laughs> yep, she has no other choice. Yeah, but the, the the pipeline was going to be their big was going to be their big sales pitch to to, uh, well, to Albertans to, uh, soft conservative voters and moderate voters. Yeah. Um, and without that, it's going to be going to be quite challenging because that's that's what they've they've basically been been moving towards over the past and three years. Even in battleground Edmonton, and you go back to what we asked the two leaders what the next battle is, and mm-hmm. hers was like hearts and minds of Alberta around kitchen the kitchen table, table, and his was Edmonton. And yeah. I think that what he predicted is coming true because this surely didn't help NDP's fortunes in everywhere else. And so they're going to have to fight pretty hard here. Mm-hmm. And even in, I mean, you start talking about seats that the UCP is now in play and I don't know how many they aren't in play. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously a place like Glenora will be tough. Um, Highlands, Norwood, Strathcona. Yeah, traditional, traditional NDP area, the central Edmonton. Yeah, but yeah. you start getting into, I mean, Riverview will be tough, but you start getting to the next layer out. Mm-hmm. Suburban. The, the UCP the, is going to be very viable. Yeah, yeah, once you get outside the Anthony Henday ring, it's going to be, the, those are going to be competitive races. And I mean, going going back to, you know, whether the NDP has a chance or not, I mean, it's really going to be a, a question of math. Um, they have to hold on to everything they have. And if they, so so if you assume they're going to they're gonna, gonna lose bad in rural Alberta. Show me where uh, they... Where yeah. do they pick up? And that's yeah. that's the challenge. The, the NDP's problem going into the next election is almost that they did too well in the last election, is that they have nowhere to wake up ground. If 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 they were going to make up ground, they'd have to make it in the Edmonton area, and they already have all of the seats in the Edmonton Literally area. every single seat. Yeah, so so it's it's going to be an electoral math question. Even with the, the redistribution of the of the electoral boundaries, it's going to be going to be quite challenging. Um, but that said, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna no. count Rachel Notley out. She's be, uh, she's 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 donning the Captain Alberta cape, and uh, I think her response to the uh, to the the situation with Trans Mountain um, has really I think I I would be surprised if it hasn't boosted her approval ratings in Alberta. But if, what, if that translates into votes or not, or if she can carry that neck into next spring, is a totally the, different question. The challenge that she faces right now, and we've said it before, is that she, there's nothing for her to do except be the squeaky wheel. Her fortune now lies with God help her. Justin Trudeau making this right. (laughs) And well, I I just can't see it happen. Well, she, she has to, I I think, I think that in two, two things, and I think she's, she's started and started to do the one, um, is she, I mean, she needs to stand up. She's seen to be standing up for Alberta, which I think she is being seen to stand up for Alberta. And she needs to dismantle this political coalition that she's she's created with Justin Trudeau. And you look at the UCP line of attack, and specifically, you look at the, the types of social media advertisements that the UCP has been running lately. And you can actually, this is interesting, on Facebook, there's a feature. If you go to a Facebook page, you can click on, there's a in the left-hand column, you can click on a little section called ads, oh. and it shows you all the ads that that page has, has purchased and is running. Oh, interesting. So I went, I've, I've gone through and looked at what, what ads the NDP are running, what ads the UCP is, are running, and, and the other parties. And the UCP for the past couple of weeks has been running hard on tying Rachel Notley to Justin Trudeau. Saying, sure. and, and that, so that's their line of attack. He's about is, as is, popular as a lead balloon. Yeah. Attack Ottawa. I mean, that, that's always the, that's the, that's the Alberta a, way. That's the Alberta way. It's a, that's a <laughs> line. That, that, that's a line of attack that has worked in, in, yeah. in many elections. Absolutely. Um, but, but go, it's kind of severing that political alliance or, you know, Mm-hmm. Giving the perception that that alliance is severed, well, uh, I think will I think that'll help Notley in the next election. Mm-hmm. 
I want to ask you guys, and this is a, this is a thesis I've held for a little while, and it, um, every time she talks more and more like me, like the conservatives, more of that tell Ottawa to pound sand, more of that anger that they're all out to get us, the NEB is being, or the NEB application was fair at the time, and you're moving the goalposts. That stuff, I, this thesis I have is that the more she says the things that I like, it's because she's sounding more like a conservative. The people who are naturally more skeptical of pipelines, who are more in her base, like what is this doing to them? You guys tell me because I, I don't know. I, like, I think the fact that I really liked her last week mm-hmm. is probably net negative for her because <laughs> I'm assuming those exact character <laughs> qualities are not what her base wants. It's, it's electorally, it's robbing Peter to pay Paul, I think. So I, you know, I've got a lot of friends uh, that, that were vehemently opposed to the pipeline they were so pleased when the court ruled the way it did and you know there's a part of me that's like well i mean good for you guys you're you're doing what you think is right uh for the country and for the environment what do they think of her response well i mean i i don't think that those people vote they probably don't vote at all in the next election i don't think just stay home i think they stay Mm -hmm. home because you know who's gonna vote the angry conservatives but the but the soft conservatives that dave was talking about the the Voters who maybe don't feel comfortable with some of the social stuff that is surrounding the UCP, I think they might hold their nose and vote not for the NDP, but like they did last time, they vote for Rachel Notley. Oh, I, I, I thought I, you were going to say the Alberta Party. No, and no. I was going to say every vote for the Alberta Party is half a vote for Jason Kenney. Yeah, no, I, I just can't see people. I think the electorate is a. I don't want to. I don't want to diss the Alberta Party, but I just don't. Th- think that we do all the time i know but <laughs> i'm sorry natasha but like again these are people that are that are working hard uh for a political party that they think is going to make a difference for alberta so it's hard for me to beat them up you're right and that's the part i feel bad too and the candidates who are running like i will defend candidates of mm-hmm. any party but i just don't think they've done enough to get alberta voters to go huh that is a definite viable alternative to jason kenny or rachel Lally. we're talking we're still talking about the alberta party yeah Dang. For some reason, we started talking go, about them again. Go, go, going back to the, <laughs> talking, the original question. talking about the NDP base and, and environmental right. voters, I think, and I've heard this from 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 friends of mine and 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 uh, um, acquaintances of mine who have been in the past been uh, NDP volunteers, NDP organizers, uh, and who are opposed to the pipeline. Um, they're not happy with how many of them are in the cabinet. Just Give me another well, <laughs> four or five. Can 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 we write some anonymous soft ads? Uh, uh, <laughs> More than none. The uh, I think that they are unhappy with the direction this is going. I think that they they feel a little alienated because Rachel Notley is appealing to people like Ryan uh, in her language and in in her actions. Um, she was a secret plant all along. Well, I'd have a hard time <laughs> believing that. Uh, no, but I think you're right, and we've talked about this several times. Like, but 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 I think that I think they'll and you know what I've seen is they'll can't they're canceling their their monthly donations to the NDP. They're perhaps not going to volunteer for NDP candidates in the next election, but they're probably going to vote NDP. Anyway. But th- that's they're still, just they're just not going to they're just not going to knock doors and they're not going to do those kinds. But of that's things. a huge problem. That, that is a huge thing. So it's not yeah. robbing them of, of of their votes, but it's robbing them of and their uh, ability to get more votes. Yeah, but but that said, I I don't like the the question is is the NDP base was never that huge to begin with. So, no, I mean, <laughs> no, b- b- before 2015, the NDP would get around 10% of the vote. And they don't have a and, huge membership. They don't have a huge... Yeah. 
highly functional CAs across the province. Yeah, yeah. and they don't have a uh, they don't have a federal party that is incredibly viable or incredibly organized in this <laughs> province either. Um, so there's they don't really have anybody to lean on. Really, yeah, right. totally. So and we're very motivated now. You're talking about the UCP. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because of being out of power, realize the politics of all the things we've talked about, bringing the two parties together. Like, sure, these nominations are sometimes a three ring circus, but it's because there is such a high, there's such a prize. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I none of this is good for the NDP, if you ask me. And I bet you the next leadership race, which we've said a few times before, is already underway, and the battle lines will be drawn. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if it's a, it's it's underway yet. I think no, there's, there's I, people I, probably I, thinking about it, but I, I think I, there's people who are when they go. I would love to be a fly on the wall when a high-profile cabinet minister, such as Miss Hoffman or Darren Billis or Shannon Phillips, goes to like a local fundraising meeting or a fundraising event, and they don't think anybody's there. What do they say? Now, they're very loyal and good, and I'm sure they don't say I don't that. think anybody's undermining Rachel Not. No, no, I don't mean to suggest that. But I bet you the members, when they go up to Shannon Phillips, I bet you what they're saying is not, you need to go fight like hell for that pipeline. I bet you it's more like, we got to remember who we are. And this is a well, well, structural problem. But, but I mean, we're assuming that, that in the minds of NDP, of NDP supporters and NDP activists that the pipeline is the number one issue. You know, well, you're, you're going to say, you hmm. know, if, if, if you're an NDP activist going up to Shannon Phillips, you're going to say, I want you to fight hell for the fight like hell for the environment because climate change is a huge issue. Yeah. And these conservatives are just going to let the uh, the coal and the oil yeah, we're just pump, gonna, pump, pump we're crap gonna, into the into the atmosphere and destroy yeah. our destroy our future and fire um, all the teachers and nurses. Yeah, and, absolutely. So, I mean, the, you know, the, we, we talk a lot about pipelines in on this podcast and a lot about pipe, and the, the, the mainstream media and pundits and, and politicos talk a lot about pipelines but there are a lot of other issues that are driving people to get out there and be politically active and politically motivated we should interview some real people normal people. <laughs> that sounds great <laughs> but the problem is how do you find them and if they're listening to this podcast well you know, you know you know it's, spe- speaking of, of, of finding uh, uh you know real real new democrats um the ndp convention is is coming up and uh, i know we were talking about maybe going down to uh, going down to red deer for a day and recording a live uh a live podcast. I'll, I'll, I'm going to be in touch with the NDP to talk about that. That'd be kind of fun. Well, and you know, it would probably be a failure for us not to mention that Linda Duncan has said she's not running. I oh, think yeah. that came out since last time. So it's very interesting. Who runs there? I mean, it's as safe a seat as they could hope for. And they will no doubt have some interest. Could there be some MLAs who can read the tea leaves that are on the way out? I mean, would... Um, Marlon Schmidt be interested. Who else does she overlap with? Notley. Notley and Laurie Sigurdsson. Right. And I think um, uh, Richard Fian. I can't see. Yeah. No, I but, can't but, see Premier Notley running no. in Jagmeet Singh's NDP. No, no, no I don't yeah. think that's going to happen. I think uh, uh, I know um, uh, my my colleague David David Klimenhager has uh, has uh, has. I think he wrote this on his blog, or maybe he just told me, and I'm just saying this now uh, that uh, he suspects that. Uh, uh, Rachel Notley will be appointed by Justin Trudeau as uh, Canada's next ambassador to Ireland if she loses the next Ireland. election. Yeah, well, it's kind of the place that you kind of appoint, uh, you know. Oh. It's kind of the easy, uh, it's kind of a fun, easy appointment. I would take Fiji. Fiji? Yeah. Really? It's really out of the way. I mean, Ireland's nice, and all those uh, poker websites are basically based there. So and you can... if you're in Newfoundland, you're closer to Ireland than you are to Alberta. <laughs> There's got to be some metaphor there. I don't know what it is. We're going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor this episode, LitFest. Did you know that Edmonton is the home of Canada's first and only non-fiction festival, LitFest? It runs October 11th to 21st and features dozens of events 
with writers from across the country and beyond, all sharing true stories and big ideas about culture, food, science, politics, and more. Among the writers that will be at LitFest this year, you've got uh, Rachel Gisa, author of Boys, What It Means to Become a Man, uh, artist Vivek Shraya, author of I'm Afraid of Men and Even This Page is White, and Michael Hingston, author of Let's Go Exploring Calvin and Hobbes. And that's just a sample. There are many more listed at litfestalberta.org. Get your festival passes today. They're only 129 for the whole festival. Four packs and single tickets will also be available. You can get $5 off by using the promo code APN rocks. And just so that you remember, APN stands for Alberta Podcast Network. That's $5 off using the promo code APN rocks. Get your tickets today at litfestalberta.org. The Dayberta Podcast is also brought to you by ATB Prosper. Whether you're saving for retirement, a major purchase, your child's education, or a rainy day, ATB Prosper helps you create a personalized investment plan to assist you in reaching your financial goals. It's easy to create, manage, and follow your progress through your customized digital dashboard. Start investing with as little as $100 and make additional contributions of as little as $25. Spiders are scary. Investing shouldn't be. Whatever your future holds, ATB Prosper can get you there. It's simple, it's personalized, and it's all manageable through your digital dashboard. Visit atbprosper.com. It's not scary. We promise. So going back to uh, Linda Duncan's retirement, Edmonton Strathcona, and the Fed next federal election, uh, that that helps us uh, transition to our next topic, which is uh, Robin Sears, uh, who I believe is a former NDP strat, a federal NDP strategist, uh, wrote an op-ed in the Toronto Star this week talking about how there's speculation, adding fuel to the speculation. I think Susan Delacourt wrote a column about this a few weeks ago uh, about how Justin Trudeau might call an early election. It's kind of the rumors going around. Now, these are rumors that kind of happen in every... Evergreen. Every, every Yeah, these are evergreen topics. This is, happens every time in a year before election. Literally Will they time. go early? Will they Will they not? But the question of whether the, whether Justin Trudeau calls an election early... Now, the, the next federal election is set to take place in October 2019. If Justin Trudeau were to call the federal election, say, in spring 2019... Uh, it could lead to Alberta's election, provincial election, to be rescheduled or or, or moved to the fall potentially. The, I that, realize the law is only sort of able to determine this, but the the electoral law that we have in the book says yeah. between March and May. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, the the Alberta's Alberta currently has a fixed election window or fixed election period where it has to be called between May or March first and May thirty first every four years. Has, in recent years, like the modern. Or the current era, has there been big provinces who have gone at the same time as the federal election? From what I can remember, uh, and I think this might have even been in, in Robin Sears' piece, they talked about, I think in BC, there was a federal election and a provincial election in 1979. I know in Manitoba, was it Manitoba? I think there might have been a Manitoba election where it overlapped. But, but so it's rare. It's rare. It doesn't happen very often. I think that's probably on purpose. Now, we have had elections back-to-back. Uh, I think in 2004, we in Alberta, we had a federal election mm, in the yeah, spring right. or in the summer. That's right. We had a municipal election. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, municipal election in uh, 
October, and then we had a, fe- a provincial election called right after the municipal election. So we had three three elections basically within like a six or eight month period in Alberta, but they didn't overlap. Right. Um, great for podcasters if there was podcasters. Yeah, in yeah. So you know, well, that'd be great for us if they did it again. Uh, or, or it would be exhausting for us. Totally, totally it's much exhausting. easier to sit here and talk to you guys than it is the door knock. Let me tell you. <laughs> so, yeah. well, I I don't think he will weigh Alberta in his decision. Yeah, uh, the premier definitely will have to. I don't know which way it cuts though. Might help her survive. Have, have you guys seen any polling, federal polling lately, that would indicate one way or another where he's going, uh, other I mean, than down the tubes? This is always speculated. This is every time. I think you can probably build a case for it that Jagmeet Singh is super weak and the NDP might replace mm-hmm. him if if they let them. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I don't. I tend to be very skeptical of this type of stuff because it's always speculated. And yeah, this is normal run of election yeah, stuff. A yeah. story like and this. this is rumor. The rumor mill. Yeah. And I think prime ministers like being prime minister. And anytime you, every time you face the electorate, you are rolling the dice like yeah. i think it's the back of his mind he's confident in re-election but i think still it'd be hard it's hard to actually go see the governor general yeah well and and and, and you know i mean I, I think most i mean there are cases where the like you know calling an election a year early does annoy and irritate the electorate i mean look at the 2015 election in alberta i mean i i found it i remember the first week of the election campaign when jim prentice called the election a year early a year before his own party's fixed election period which they just implemented like two years before he became premier why those laws are silly uh yeah no i agree it's totally silly uh but uh but if if you have if you have them listen to them kind of thing right follow it um i remember people talking about pundits talking about in the first week of the campaign how oh no one's gonna no no one cares if an election is called early no one you know I, I still matter, think but, that. But I do think people were annoyed. I agree, maybe, but I think they get over it. I think they were clearly mad at that one, but it was yeah. much more... They were mad about other things. They were well, yeah, mad they, about they were 40 mad. years. Yeah, they were mad about I, 40 years. I do years. agree with yeah. you. People are mad. It's always a story, but I do think then they get over it and they think about this election. Because this is another part of the narrative. You always hear that. Oh, people, the voters will be mad. I think it it has a, a, a stamping down effect on volunteers. Mm-hmm. Initially, it, it makes it harder to get rolling. But no one the day before the election is going... Yeah, it's a toss-up between the UCP and the NDP, but man, the NDP called them an early election, so I'm not voting for them. Yeah. No, I'm not yeah. going to go vote for Kenny instead. That's not, no, it, may, it may be part of the feelings you feel, yeah. but I don't think it's like one of the pillars of your decision. Yeah, so I don't believe it. I'm, I'm you don't believe to, that the rumor's true? That, I, I don't. I mean, every, anything is possible, but if I had to bet, I would say he sticks with October. Yeah. Now, the well, pre, he, that means here we're going to have basically back-to-back elections with the summer break. And Kenny has said if he forms the new government, they're sitting. So over the summer they'll sit. Mm-hmm. This the summer of repeal to the repeal, repeal all the good stuff the NDP has uh, has implemented over the past four years, and we'll, I, we'll talk more about that later. I agree with some of what you said, but not all of it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we have a full mailbag this week, uh, so we're going to get right into it with listener questions. He's a frequent flyer. You know him. We love him. He's Mountain Ted, and he asked us. Here's an insider question for your consideration. Do you hear anything in your network about whether we'll have an earlier or later election? Um, so we kind of talked about that. What do you think parties would prefer in the current political climate? So, Ryan, let's go with you first. Hmm. Do you think the the federal conservatives, because we just talked about the f- federal politics, do you think that Andrew Scheer would prefer an early election or do you think it matters? Um, 
I think there's pros and cons both ways. So more time is good to nominate candidates and all that sort of thing. They also know that Trudeau has had a rough week, at least in places where um, the pipeline is popular. And so I think all they can do in both levels, UCP and the federal party, is get ready. Like when you're the opposition, you really don't control it. So the, for example, the UCP's approach to these rumors is to get ready as soon as they can. The CPC, I mean, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I haven't heard anything federally seriously speculating about it, but the only thing you can do now is prepare yourself, get um, your teams ready to go, get your candidates nominated. So, you know, I, this is part of the evergreen speculation, and I think prime ministers have called snap elections. It happens. So if you're caught by surprise by it, shame on you. But there's really not much you can do. Yeah. What What about you, Dave? Do you think Do you think it's in the prime minister's best interest to call an early election at this point? Uh, no, I don't think so. Not at this point. Um, I think that uh, looking at I think I think looking at where the where the battlegrounds might be in the next election. You're looking at uh, Quebec. You're looking at Ontario, British Columbia. Uh, I mean, maybe the Maritimes, depending on how the Conservatives do. I think the Liberals have all the seats in the Maritimes at yes, this point. Do. Yeah, but I mean, there are areas that traditionally have been have been Conservative, and wouldn't be surprised to see the Conservatives pick up a couple more of those seats, yeah. depending on which way it goes. Um, I mean, even if the Liberals do win, win the next election, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Conservatives pick up some of the more traditional seats. I mean, I think looking at the the way looking at the way the 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 way the political climate is changing on the provincial level will probably factor in i mean in ontario doug ford is now premier in quebec there might be a conservative government uh led by the the cac the caq going when when the provincial election is held in quebec there might be a, a progressive conservative government in new brunswick uh come come october um, the the political climate is changing. When you look at when when Trudeau first became prime minister, I think, I mean, I don't know if there were any any conservative governments in Alberta other than uh, other than Saskatchewan. No, the BC was liberal. Ontario was liberal. Oh, liberal. Yeah, Ontario was was liberal. Or British Columbia was Ontario was was was, was yeah liberal conservative, right? Not so, NDP. Not NDP. And now things have have switched. So I think he's he's finding himself with less political allies provincially. Um, I don't know how, I mean, I, I suspect that would probably factor in. Um, I, I think they're going to wait until October. I think this is a lot of speculation, Mm -hmm. but but I think October, 2019. So mountain Ted, hold on to your butt. (laughs) Ben Rutgers. (laughs) Jurassic park quote. Yeah. Yeah. Ben Rutgers wants to know, will the Alberta party being second in declared candidates translate into increased fundraising? It hasn't so far, (laughs) but that's always the goal, right? Like it's harder to fundraise if you don't know who the person is knocking on your door. I, I think they'll see increased fundraising because they'll have candidates actually going and and trying to fundraise. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be substantial. I don't expect that the the Alberta party is going to all of a sudden start raise be, start raising a million bucks a quarter like the NDP or the UCP are. Like it, I, they're they're, they're going to still be far behind. It'll be an increase for the Alberta party. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But, like, but who knows what that means against every other party? Like I could lose ten pounds <laughs> easier than. Leanne could lose 10 pounds. Okay. Because I have 10 pounds to lose. <laughs> it's the opposite with fundraising. Like, yeah, an increase, sure, from very, very little you, you know, you to know, a I, little I, bit more. I gave up, I gave up drinking, drinking alcohol for Lent, and I lost like 10 pounds within like two weeks. Really? Yeah. How much were you drinking? 
Not that much, actually. <laughs> Not, I was surprised. I mean, it might have been that I was also exercising regularly as well. Good but for you. Yeah. We should do a Dave Berta weight loss challenge. We, okay. During the election or something. <laughs> we'll give something up and see what happens. Can we do it during a time where it's not so stress, stressful? I need to and drink. Cold. I need to drink during an election. Yeah, winter, winter, winter's off. So, Ben, I'm sorry. Um, I do think it'll lead to an increase for sure. Will it lead to substantive fundraising? I don't think so. And we've talked about it before. You, you don't fundraise based on this like nuanced middle position. Mm-hmm. If you look at the NDP's fundraising and the UCP's, it's a pitch to outrage and fear and wanting to quash the other guys. Not this like, well, you know, both sides have got a point, so we're do just going to be in the middle. When you say quash, do you mean legally quash? No. Okay. <laughs> Politically <laughs> smite. Colloquial. Yeah. All right. Adam Sweet has two questions. Hey, these, these are not related to... Uh, to Canadian politics or Alberta politics in any way, but, but he says inquiring minds want to know your thoughts on U.S. politics giving its, given its impact on the Alberta economy. So the first question is, would you rather be in the shoes of present-day Barack Obama or present-day Joe Biden? Always Joe Biden. Everyone wants to... What about you, Ryan? What do you think? No, no for me, it's not even close. You, I mean, one man ha- is a former president. One man's a former VP. Yeah, but the the other man is Joe Biden. Yeah, Joe, and we all Joe, know how cool Joe Biden. Yeah, is. you know Joe, what? Joe, Joe Biden, who who people are speculating, who you know is this respected, respected longtime Democrat who everybody's talking about as a potential presidential candidate, but who probably isn't going to run for president. You're kind of in the spotlight, but but you know, so you're, you're popular, you're in the spotlight, but crazy Uncle Joe. Yeah, is he's great. I, look, I like the Biden memes too. Um, but he also is a function, a creature of an older time and he's got some pretty creepy behavior too. Oh yeah. Like I really love the characters and this is going to piss off both sides of George W and Barack Obama. I love them as men, as humans, as fathers, you know, sure they both did cocaine in their youth, but I'm talking about like in their time as president, not a whiff of sexual harassment. They love their wives. They love their daughters They, you know, Biden, sure, I know I know his family has tragedy, but like there's an awful lot of YouTube videos of him being super creepy on stage with w- women. Like he's a dinosaur. I'm starting to regret my choice here, Ryan. He's a dinosaur and <laughs> I love the human beings of the last two presidents and that's part of why this current one just makes me lose my mind. Mm-hmm. But yeah. to answer your question, Adam, I would way rather be Obama. They don't build statues. They don't name aircraft carriers after vice presidents. They, you know, the the chance to be a president, there's nothing like it. The, the impact, even now, um, I think people like talking about Biden, but he's never he, oh, he's never going to be president. He's twenty years too old for one thing. I, I think Biden's uh, popularity is entirely a function of Obama. Like, yeah, and, and, and internet and, memes. And let's not forget, <laughs> like, like Senator Biden's got a long history of politics. Like, it's what he did his whole oh, life, but, yeah. but you know, pound for pound impact and right. cool factor. Well, he did. I mean, he climbed to the highest pinnacle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was because Obama took him. He didn't even run for the nomination that last time, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's just one of the old dinosaurs, the old guard. There was a generational change with Obama, and then they went back with Trump to another old guy. Although I would love to see the old guy fight between Biden and Trump. <laughs> Biden would take him. Biden wins When Trump's one. out of office and Fox News wants some ratings... 
if they did an old guy fight, they could do it. They could do a, a Brazo Trudeau style uh, beatdown. MMA versus boxer. Yeah. I remember watching that and being so sad at every level. <laughs> Never bet against the boxer. Never bet against the boxer. I honestly think that moment contributed to Justin Trudeau being prime minister. I, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, probably. Because yeah. he kicked Brazo's butt. <laughs> and Brazo was a big muscular man. And Trudeau just stood there and he took it. And I remember watching it with a bunch during the 2012 campaign. Yeah. One night on the Wild Rose tour, we stopped at our hotel and we were all watching, and we were all just so like, "You have got to be kidding me! <laughs> this guy just won a freaking boxing fight! Like, he's gonna be prime minister." All right. Well, here's a here's maybe a harder question. The same. This is from Adam Sweet as well. Would you rather be in the shoes of present day Donald Trump or Mike Pence? Like, I don't, it's it's like, would you rather Ugh. fight a bear with a toothpick or? fight a shark or that had laser bear? eyes Ugh. yeah like i okay this is a gross question I, i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna divest myself of my ego and super ego and speak only to the ed i would way rather be trump yeah. enriching my family saying whatever the hell i want well and you you're the president and being the president i'd way rather be trump even though i'm probably gonna wind up in jail at some point like we all have too much west wing in our brains <laughs> but what was the quote that it's like the world's most comfortable what do they say? Straight jacket or something? <laughs> something They're like, like that. most pointless yeah. position in the world. Yeah. Trump, I mean, I think it's been interesting watching Pence and so, so disheartening. As someone who was kind of a principled conservative in the movement over the last few years, he's an icon of what I'm so upset about. He's just willing to swallow just literally for power. everything. Just for power. It doesn't yeah. matter. Even the grab them by the pee moment yeah that was actually the one time when pence was like no i'm not speaking for you but even then he still swallowed it mm -hmm. it's so brazenly not principled he and obviously he's just he knows that he, he's never well, that's why he wrote that in on this op-ed right? yeah <laughs> what was the word what was the word lodestar lodestar, lodestar what a weird word yeah yeah i had to look that up i'm like yeah. that is a lodestar so i would rather be trump for the same reasons you've said yeah and 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 understanding that i would be a terrible person Still, well, rather absolute be, power corrupts absolutely. Exactly. What about you, Dave? Ugh, Trump or Pence? Oh, this is such an awful question. Would you rather be moved through a, a wood chipper <laughs> or a, a hydraulic press? Well, do I get to do I go to prison or do I get to go into exile in Russia after I uh, after I become president? Uh, you, no you know, collusion, you, Dave. You could very much wind up like like a, like, <laughs> hanging a, like out a, with my DACA in the Crimean. You and Julian Assange having tea every morning in the Ecuadorian embassy in London. What a fucking nightmare. <laughs> This is awful. Let's move on. Okay, I'm, okay. I'm done with this thanks question. For nothing, thanks, Adam. Adam. Thanks. Right. This, this, yeah, Adam, thanks for nothing. Uh, you're making a bad name for Adams everywhere. Okay, the next question <laughs> from uh, Trevor Toom, who says, anything but pipelines, we've already ruined it. But he actually <laughs> wants to know. So mm -hmm. this Tuesday, mm -hmm. uh, what is the Olympics meeting in Calgary? So what are the politics of mega projects for municipal politicians and provincial ones today? Uh, Trevor says it's interesting that neither party is taking a position. Uh, and then he adds, and Olympic plebiscite and the politics of those. So the first question is, what are the politics of mega projects uh, for municipal and provincial politicians? Well, I think it's a pretty tough needle to thread because on one hand, there's so much risk of these things blowing up. But on the other hand, they're so good for municipal politicians and provincial politicians to have civic pride and all that stuff. Like when the Olympics come, mayors and municipal leaders are the first ones there with the banners and the rah-rah, but they're also so aware that it can go sideways, especially the Olympic bid. 
So I think there's a reason why politicians are basically just trying to have it both ways right yeah. now. Looking, they want to look tough on it and sort of doing their due diligence. But then once the time comes, they'll be there cheering from the front row. I'm going to give my personal opinion on the Olympics first. I, I love watching the Olympics. I think it's a lot of fun to watch the competition and watch the athletes and, you know, and, and cheer on team Canada. But I hate the international Olympic committee. Mm -hmm. I think that they're a bunch of like so old European fascists and, (laughs) you know, only there to enrich corporations and enrich themselves on the take on the take. It's it's, it's insane. It's, it's a, they feel the same way about FIFA, right? Like I love watching the world cup, but FIFA is such like such an awful organization, like Mm -hmm. from, 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 you know, a thousand, 10,000 feet up. Uh, so I, I don't like the idea of the Olympics coming. I do. And I don't like the idea of the Olympics right. coming to Calgary because I, 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 I would love to go and see the Olympics. I'd love to go and that's on my bucket list. I'd love to go, but I, but I dislike everything, all the politics and all the money and all the kind of awful, awful deal making and enriching that goes on or, uh, or, during, during these types of events. I think it's, it's like the worst of neoliberal capitalism. Or look at the downsides, even beyond the corruption, if it goes sideways and it leaves a massive... I mean, we're still... Canadian taxpayers are still paying for the Olympic. In um, Montreal. In Mo- yeah, in Montreal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, the Vancouver one went well. Yeah, but look and, the, what and the Calgary in one went well in 1988. Yeah. And that's, I think, that's what a lot of the proponents of this project are talking about, what a success the 1988 Olympics yeah. were. Um, but in Rio... I mean, what a disaster! Yeah, and that's a city with ten times the population. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, going going back to the original question into what Ryan was saying, uh, I mean, I think yeah, politicians they they're I think they're tentative provincially. They're tentative on this because they don't want to. They they want all they wanted to be there to, you know, hand out the giant checks and cut the ribbons and and take all the credit. But they you know they're aware that there's a big political risk. Um, I, I mean, I think that's, that's one of the reasons why you put pushing something like this to a plebiscite. It's kind of a, it's a kind of a way out, a way out for the politicians to, from making the decision because they can say, oh, the people voted for it or the people didn't vote for it. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I think the IOC is disgusting and corrupt and I, d- I don't understand why like cities and provinces and countries get forced into this position where they're begging for this event to be held at great cost. Yeah. The IOC should be like, we've got $2 billion. <laughs> Who wants it? Yeah. And then they should just dump that into cities. Totally. Or, or I mean, I know this idea has come it's up before. Backwards. It's yeah. backwards. Yeah. The, the idea of having, you know, one or two cities around the world where you constantly hold the Winter Olympics and you constantly hold the Summer Olympics. Yeah. And then you can build the infrastructure you need. You can maintain that infrastructure and you're not having to build all this massive, expensive infrastructure that's for the most part, only going to get used once for two weeks and then going to get abandoned. Yeah. Um, and if, if use if, if the planning properly gets reused, but most likely not. Um, and I mean, I know we didn't in Calgary in the, in, in 1988, we didn't see the kind of abandonment that happened in places like Athens or Rio. Um, but it, it's a lot of money. We could be spending this money on better things like yeah. building host, the hospitals we need, building the schools we need, expanding pipelines. Like, well, yeah. Well, <laughs> now the well, we've already spent the money on that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and although I'm the conservative of the table, I guess I'm actually predisposed to these types of things. Like, I like it. You can always say we could spend that money on a hospital. You could like you could spend that money on a better sidewalk. You can always say things like that. I think there is something to global events. It put Calgary on the global map and all that stuff. But when the Calgary Olympics happened, the budget was way lower than what you're talking mm-hmm. now. I mean, what 
what was the Rio and the Sochi budgets? Like it oh was, God, it was obscene. I don't know. Yeah. Remember. And crippling billions and billions. Yeah. You could make the case that the Olympics might be better off never moving. That's what David yeah, was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Exactly. Yeah. Having two permanent locations where, uh, where this, yeah, there's a summer Olympics and then there's a winter Olympics. They could probably so use it in Athens. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we have the permanent Olympics in Calgary and that's where, where it is always. But Can you me, imagine what Calgary's head would be like if that oh, was true? Massive. Right? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that make Edmonton feel very bad. But that's okay. But we would have the funicular still. Yeah. Yeah, I like the funicular. Somebody it's smashed fun. it up again. Yes. Oh, man. They had to close it for two days to fix it. Oh. But that wasn't Trevor's question. I think okay. we've I think we've answered. Okay, thanks for the question, Trevor. Um, Joey Oberhofner wants to know. This is a great question, actually. Can an ideas-focused, completely above board, and no shenanigans campaign win in this day and age, or is identity politics push pulling and brown envelopes the only way to win? Joey, you know the answer to this. Yes, we still can. <laughs> no, um, it, it no is the answer. You don't think that an above board campaign can ever happen? Politics is different now. I think that at least in the party system, um, I I think the analogy that I would make, and I'm not a lawyer, is that in legal cases in court, how often is it about the legal argument and how often is it about undermining the witness's credibility? It's far easier to appeal to to human nature and to go for the side attack than it is to actually just talk about the ideas. And there is no such thing as a pure idea because it's always about people in context and against decisions uh, and difficult choices, right? Like there is no such thing. And I don't think there ever was. If you go back to politics in any era, all the way back to Caesar in the Senate, it was always messy and personal. Yeah, he got stabbed in the back. Yeah, yeah. like a number of times. That's where like that expression lot. comes from. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Actually, lots of expressions come from that time. Yeah. That I, I was listening to something about it, but so Joey, what you're, what I, what I'm hearing you say is Joey is longing for a time that never existed. Yes, and Joey knows that. Yeah, of course he does. Smart guy. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that I think there are people. I mean, I, I, I don't know when there's ever been just an ideas focused completely above board and non shenanigans campaign. That's therefore there's always been, it's politics. There's always shenanigans in politics. I think there's there is. Uh, there's a nostalgia for something else that doesn't include. I think I think we we see. I think there are a lot of people who are politicos who are tiring of this kind of uh, hot takes. So social media driven, reply to everything the seconds it ha- second it happens without any thought. Kind of politics that we have now, which drives me nuts because you see people who are who know better. Politicians who know better, who you who you know, if you know personally or you you pay attention to, you know they're smart, but they're giving this you know the lamest hot takes because they want to score political points on Twitter, and I, I think that's just, I think that's actually helps just just you know destroy civil discourse in 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 this country and in in our politics. But that's just the way I think that's just the way it is right now. I don't I don't think that that we've ever been in a place where there hasn't been shenanigans in politics. Yeah. Um. I do want to draw Joey's attention to there's a there was an op-ed uh, published in the New York Times yesterday. Uh, was it signed? Yes, it was signed. <laughs> well, that's good. We know uh, who the author was. It, it, it was, it was written stuff. by sociologist Eric uh, uh, 
Eric, I'm going to get this right, Klinenberg. And it, the title is To Restore Civil Society, Start with the Library. And he's talking about the how, how crucial public, public institutions and community hubs and community centers uh, are needed to restore civil society. So, I mean, if you're worried about ideas not being in politics or... or civility not being in politics I'd, I'd encourage you to read this article or this op-ed it's quite interesting um i will share pardon me share a link to it on the blog great well and one thing just to add joey i would say it is up to people like you and me and us here and i did it again since last episode i got in a twitter fight i think we have to choose our better angels every interaction every time we're making the case for anything you start with yourself it's something that I'm trying to work on to remember that, you know, it should be about ideas. It should not be about shenanigans. And so it'll, we'll never get there except like one step at a time. And, uh, I know I can do better. We need, uh, we need more people, uh, like you, Dave and you, Ryan, who come from different sides of the issues coming together and, you know, sometimes agreeing to disagree. So uh, good luck with that, Joey. <laughs> Let us know how that goes. Uh, next oh, question. Sorry, go ahead, speaking Ryan. Speaking of Calgarians, Joey may be one, but he's also an Oilers fan. So oh, don't out him like that, he's man. He's okay in my books. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got a question from Lee Watmo. I think that's how you say that. Do you know? Uh, I don't know. Okay. He sent the, Lee sent the question in on, uh, on Twitter. Lee wants to know, why hasn't the NDP government tried to change our electoral system to proportional representation he says, I had just assumed they would. I know. My arm's up in the air. All right, Ryan, what do you got? Is this a sarcastic yes. response? Okay. Why? Look at what's happening in BC. You have an NDP government held hostage to a two-seat. Now, I know they don't have PR, but what's happening there right now with the Greens and the NDP would basically be systematic. It would, I, it would give power to small parties disproportionate to their result. And that's a feature, not a bug, of proportionate representation. And I think that Rachel Notley, the last thing she would want to do is be subject to, you know, such a narrow, single-interest group. Now, they actually didn't even... No, I, I, I'm no, going to give you the real answer now, Ryan. Okay, not uh, the sarcastic. Uh, because the uh, it was either 2013 or 2012, the NDP actually removed proportional representation from their constitution or their, um, their policy book. Provincially and Provincially. And Provin- provincially. Okay. Provincially. Um, yeah. So the, the NDP used to have, I think it was actually, it was what was ingrained. It was like actually written in their, in their constitution or their policy book and they removed it. Just like opposition to pipelines. So, <laughs> I laughed before I could even get it out. <laughs> that one's, that one's still in draft form. So, so yeah, so they didn't, they didn't, not only did they not run on it, but it's not actually a policy. So, um, I know it kind of surprised people. I had some people comment on that after the 2015 election because they thought it was still an NDP policy. And uh, I went and looked at their uh, their policy documents and it actually had been, I think it actually been removed. So so it's actually not a policy of the NDP in Alberta. a season of compromise for that NDP government. <laughs> PR, be careful what you wish for. Our last question comes from Chris Changyan Phillips. He says, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Notley's pipeline speech at Calgary Pride. Why that menu for... Why that venue for that message? And Chris shared a link with us uh, from rabble.ca. What do you guys think? Why why pipelines at, at Gay Pride? <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, so... <laughs> I got to familiarize myself with Sure. That. So, so the, yeah, the issue is, is that, that Rachel Notley talked about pipelines at her speech at, uh, at the Calgary Pride, uh, the, after the Calgary Pride Parade. Um, 
there were some people and, and there's a uh, Chris shared a link to um, to an article on rabble.ca uh, where someone who was attending the event took issue with uh, with Notley's comments uh, because it's the top political issue of the day. Yeah. And, and and I mean, whether it was appropriate or not, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't really sound like it's an appropriate thing to talk about at Pride, but there, it's Calgary and there were probably people in, in the is- audience who were interested in hearing what was what was what uh, what she had to say i think it was a political miscalculation you think so yeah you're talking to like let's assume that everyone and i know this isn't this is overly simplistic everyone at calgary pride probably supports the ndp for their their policy their lgbtq policies you're you've got a group of people that you don't really need to convince about what you're doing politically they are they're already behind you so why not just celebrate the event instead of making yeah, it about fair. that that's that's my viewpoint on it I don't know what you think. My take's a little different. Um, With all due respect to the writer and to the Pride event, this just shows the difficulty of managing um, the coalition of, I guess, identity politics. I don't mean to sound disrespectful, but she's, she's talking about the issue at Pride because Pride is mainstream, because these now are just part of her voters. Like, if you're ever only going to focus on... Um, like the persecution and the historic grievance, which I'm not saying is invalid, is valid. But at some point you have to move past it and say, okay, now you're in the mainstream. Now you're part of society and the political system. You're in the grid. And But it seems like some of these activists, uh, particularly with pride, who they don't seem to want to take yes for an answer. Like, okay, now you're mainstream and now conservative politicians want to be part of your event. Well, nope, they can't be. Now we're going to hold you to an even, like, it's like they've won. Like, I'd like to pull them aside and say, dude, you're mainstream. Well, I I don't think in their mind that they've won yet because they really want the UCP to have pro-LGBTQ policies. Show me an anti-LGBT, sorry. Yeah. Show me an anti-LGBTQ policy. Sure, but they're, well, okay, I, I, I think these people would list them for you. But I don't but, honestly, I don't like they've won the political argument and now they they're not taking yes for an answer. And I well, I mean, you say list the list the anti LGBTQ policy. I mean, I think the outing uh, kids who join gay straight alliances in their in, in their yeah. in their schools, that's was something that that's something that they had list. Well, and the that's leader, something that was passed by what did the delegates. Say? I mean, we've talked about yeah, that issue. Yeah, but, I was yeah, but, I was actually standing right behind Rick McIver when he said it. I mean, I agree with you that it's a fight. And it's not like it's over. And this is back to my core that I really liked that Notley would talk about other issues there. So if she's appealing to me towards the center from where she is, is she losing the other side? And apparently she is. And I say this as an desire to be affirming, loving ally. I know sorry, as a, someone who wants to be helpful and who wants to be affirming of, LGBTQ people, you're in, dude, you're in, this is like, let's talk about other issues now. And if she's going to talk at your event, it's because she's doing you the service. She's paying you the respect of saying, I don't have to come here and dwell on just the fact that this one part of you, this is a group of voters who she believes need to be persuaded on a political issue. She's not just doing a victory lap. Like, I think that their mentality is combative instead of and combative in the wrong way. Like 
You're saying that they, they picked a battle here that maybe they shouldn't have. Not everything's a battle. Sure. Okay. Like if she was to go to the, some big church, some big like youth conference of a, or not a youth conference, some big conference of Christian leaders, she would give the pipeline speech pitch there too yeah mm-hmm. like it's it's actually a, co- a compliment that you have attained mainstream status and you're not a niche anymore and i know that i'm really running the risk because this is also a person who identifies as a indigenous activist like i don't mean to be disrespectful i mean to talking about the, the person who the author of the, the of rabble the piece yeah. yeah i guess i think why she did it and why she's doing it is because this is a mainstream group well not only that but like Go for broke. Every opportunity you have well, to articulate a position, you're a politician. Yeah. So the, do it. And there were tens of thousands of people there. Yeah. Like I, this is a and, massive event in yeah. Calgary. That was a humongous mailbag. And thanks to everyone who sent us questions. I think it says something about this show, and I'm not sure what it says, that we we seem to be getting more and more questions every episode. And it's not always from Mountain Ted. God bless right. you, Mountain Ted. Thanks, Mountain Ted. And the questions are some of my favorite parts. Me too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, great. There were really great questions this uh, this episode. Yeah. So yeah, thanks everybody. Thanks for asking them. And that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Huge thanks to the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, for supporting the show. Send us your feedback or ask us any questions you have for our next episode. You can get us on Twitter at at Dayberta, or on the Dayberta Facebook page, or you can email us at podcast at daveberta.ca. Thanks for listening.